You're listening to the Choosing Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Robison. Every day we have the choice to walk in the freedom Christ offers or to lay it down in surrender to something other than the abundant life we are meant to live. God is actively pursuing you. He has an amazing plan for your life, and that plan includes walking in freedom. The Choosing Freedom Podcast is a place for us to discuss how we strategically apply the truth of who God says we are to the lies we believe and the challenges we face. So bring your brokenness, insecurities, and whatever holds you back and join us for authentic conversations about real issues, real hope, and real life change. Welcome to the first episode of the Choosing Freedom podcast. Today, we're going to talk about identity and how this impacts absolutely every part of our daily lives. Have you ever felt like you're not enough? unworthy, broken, defeated? Do you ever struggle with comparison, jealousy, inferiority? What about feeling completely overwhelmed? Or maybe it just seems like there's always something holding you back. If any of this sounds familiar, I get you. I've been there. And to be completely honest, even as I write notes for this podcast, I'm struggling with some of the same things. Thoughts like, There are so many people who are better qualified than I am to do this. Has God really called me to share this message, to put myself out there despite all my imperfections? What if I misrepresent God? I'm so unworthy of this opportunity. Those arrows of doubt keep zigzagging one after the other, just blazing a trail of distraction for an already easily distracted mind. And then I realize I'm doing it again. While I am literally putting together a message about how not to get caught in this downward spiral, but this time I'm not going to sit idly by while my thoughts wreak havoc on my peace of mind, because now I know better. Now I know that we have the ability to choose freedom from the thoughts that can keep us in bondage. Research shows we have anywhere from 12,000 to 70,000 thoughts in a day. It's no wonder we feel overwhelmed and exhausted. And of those thousands of thoughts, 80% were negative and 95% were the same repetitive thoughts we had the day before. That's a lot of freedom to be seeking. So where do we start? Scripture has so much to say about who God created us to be, but so often the noises of the day drown out the truth and the mercy and the grace that's available to us every moment of every day. But we cannot be passive. We must be intentional when we seek the freedom Jesus died to give us. I don't know about you, but I need practical application. Otherwise, it's just a neat idea that won't stick around for long in this pinball machine I call my brain. Let's dig a little deeper with this question. Who do you think you are? For many of us, we may answer that question by saying what we do for a living, or we may say we are of a certain religious denomination or political affiliation, or reference our hometown or someone we're related to, such as, I'm Brad's wife, or I'm the mother of three amazing young men. But that's not really what the question is asking. I don't want you to tell me who you say you are. I want to know who you think you are. When all of our distractions are removed and we're all alone, who do we think we are? What is the repeat message that plays over and over in our minds? What truths do we believe about ourselves? What lies are we believing? What really is our truest perception of our identity? 
Or do we even slow down enough to analyze this critical thinking process that has such a huge impact on everything we do? How we think really does determine how we live our lives, how we interact with our spouse, our boyfriend, girlfriend, friends, coworkers, the people we see in the grocery store. Our entire sphere of influence is impacted by our deep-seated belief about who we are. Neil Anderson said, no person can consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with what they believe about themselves. So if we have thought patterns that are inconsistent with who God says we are, there is no way we can fully claim our potential. Our purpose is clouded by our skewed perception of ourselves. Recognizing these negative thought patterns is the first step in claiming the fullness of what God has in store for us. Understanding that these thoughts are more spiritual than we may have realized is vital. What thoughts are you listening to? Are they messages of truth about who you are and how you're equipped to do amazing things? Or are they lies that tell you that your past determines your future? That you better remember where you came from? That you are nothing more than the sum of your hurts, your traumas, and your greatest disappointments? Do you feel stuck in a cycle of sin or sinful thoughts that you can't imagine being free from? Some may be too embarrassing to even think about saying out loud. What about secrets you may have kept in the deepest recesses of your heart for years? Perhaps someone in your life spoke lies or word curses over you. Maybe they didn't tell you that you're deeply loved by God. Maybe no one has ever told you. Maybe you've even thought you were a mistake or you've been told you were worthless. Maybe there have been circumstances in your life that were so unfair, or people who were supposed to protect you, but instead, they left you broken and shattered. Maybe you feel like no matter what you do, it's never enough, or like you've been stuck for so long, you can't imagine living any other way. What about vices in your life that you know aren't healthy, but frankly, you have no intention of letting go of them? At least not right now. It would just be too hard. These are uncomfortable thoughts, hard conversations, but when the answers to these questions can genuinely transform how we get out of bed every day, how we step into the next social setting or the next boardroom, the next classroom or workplace, even the next church gathering, how can we choose to ignore the potential freedom this could usher in? A few years ago, I heard it said that every thought we have is not our own. And this word of knowledge led me on a journey that changed my perspective on everything. What does that mean that every thought I have is not my own? This question sent me on a deep dive for better understanding. I needed to know what scripture had to say about this. And what I found changed me. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be vigilant because our enemy, the devil, is on the prowl like a lion looking for someone to devour. I was familiar with the scripture, but... Somehow I never related it to my thought life. I knew that temptations and sinful thoughts came from the enemy of our souls, but I was much less aware of his strategy to wreck my life in a much more discreet manner. I discovered that I was the target of a deliberate, carefully crafted plan. Thoughts of unworthiness, shame, brokenness, insecurities, thoughts that I just didn't measure up, that I wasn't good enough. The devil was taunting me with this carousel of bombarding beliefs that for years I thought were just a part of who I was, but they were lies, manipulating lies to distract me from my purpose. And the craziest part, I had no idea. 
unknowingly, I had embraced these beliefs about myself as part of my identity. As bizarre as this sounds, the thoughts were familiar, even strangely comfortable. Not comfortable in the way that I enjoyed them, but comfortable in the way that I was used to them, that I had no motivation to change. To be honest, I didn't know change was an option. After all, I wasn't even aware I was allowing this detrimental way of thinking to influence me. It was simply my reality for a long time. But as I began to open up and share some of my struggles with a couple of people I deeply trusted, light began to flow across those dark places. Lies were exposed. Fears were diminished. I started to find freedom. And in the freedom, I began to find healing. Or maybe it was the other way around. But I could not wait to share. My awareness of my own spiritual battle caused me to be able to recognize some of those same struggles in the people around me, but no one was talking about it. Yet I started to see it everywhere. Why had I never learned about this in church? Why wasn't I taught there was a spiritual battle going on for my mind and my heart? How could I, as a believer, have been held captive to my own thoughts, let alone for this long? Did that make me less of a Christian? And what in the world was I supposed to do with this information? I had so many questions, but I also had a renewed hope. Could there be relief for the burdens my heart and mind carried? And if there was to be relief, what would that look like? And how would I find it? Ephesians 6 instructs us to put on the full armor of God so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It says we wrestle against spiritual forces. Neil Anderson also said, the major strategy of Satan is to distort the character of God and the truth of who we are. He can't change God and he can't do anything about our identity and position in Christ. If, however, he can get us to believe a lie, we will live as though our identity in Christ isn't true. Powerful stuff, right? So here's where I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourself. What are the lies you are believing and how are those lies impacting you? How are they impacting the people around you? Some of those thought patterns may have been around for as long as you can remember. Others may have had a specific starting point that you will never forget. Oftentimes, we genuinely and by no fault of our own believe a specific way of thinking is simply how we are wired. It's just who we are. But I want to challenge you to look deeper beyond the surface of the emotion that boils to the top with little effort when certain thoughts come up. Let me pause here and mention the reality of mental illness. I would be remiss not to say that sometimes we need help along the way, and there is no shame in that. I believe there are incredible people living out their God-given calling to provide counseling and support to others as needed. I think we're hard on one another when we see one another struggling and say to just have faith or to just pray about it and neglect that sometimes... We need someone to take us by the hand and guide us toward truth and healing. If this is part of your story, there is no condemnation here. The book of Proverbs tells us multiple times that we find wisdom in godly counsel. Freedom and healing look different for everyone, but the longevity of the process is firmly rooted in Christ. Romans 8.1 tells us there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you are feeling shame or condemnation associated with any of your thoughts, you can trust that is not coming from God. Let's not confuse conviction with condemnation. Conviction may point to a wrongdoing and lead me to repentance and forgiveness. 
Condemnation, on the other hand, says not that I did a bad thing, but that I am a bad person. Big difference. Conviction is meant to bring us to Jesus, where we can experience forgiveness and redemption. But condemnation is meant to crush us. You see, Jesus is a rescuer. In Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He tells us that he is gentle and humble in heart and that he will give us rest for our souls. That's a promise, but we must claim it. Think about what you're thinking about. Where did your negative thoughts originate? Who told you that was true about you? Who are you granting the privilege of speaking into you? And are they trustworthy of the access you're granting them? Friends, the word teaches us that we are at war and it is raging all around us and within us. But scripture does not leave us unequipped. We have weapons. 2 Corinthians 10, beginning with verse 3, tells us, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That scripture says a lot, so let's break it down. First of all, this scripture makes it clear that we are at war. That may sound a little overly dramatic, but it's biblical fact, and the devil doesn't want you to believe it. Those thoughts we've been thinking that don't line up with who God says we are, you know, the ones we keep to ourselves out of fear that no one else could ever understand, those are strongholds. And these verses clearly tell us that the weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish those strongholds. What does it mean by we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God? The definition of pretension is a claim or an assertion. So this scripture tells us there will be arguments and claims against the knowledge of God. Where do we think those arguments and claims come from? The scripture goes on to say that we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what does taking our thoughts captive look like? Let's start with some truths. Praying scriptures is a great way to know we're praying in accordance with God's will. We can use this scripture when we recognize the negative thoughts flashing on our home screens again, and we can simply say prayers that may sound like, God, I ask you to take my thoughts captive and make them obedient to you in Jesus' name. Or, forgive me for believing the lies that contradict who you say I am. Or maybe they sound like, Lord, help me think the thoughts that you want me to think in Jesus' name. The power to change is always in the name of Jesus, so we must not skip that part of our prayers. Stand on the promise that in Jesus, we can take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Ask God to give wisdom and discernment so that we can recognize those arguments and claims against God for the lies they are. James 4, 7 tells us to submit to God, resist the devil, and then he will flee from us. Did you catch that? Resist the devil then he will flee from you. This is not passive. Prayer is our lifeline. Continue to pray and ask God to make you aware of any territory you may be allowing the devil to exploit in your mind. In John 8, Jesus refers to Satan as the father of lies. In John 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil wants to steal our peace of mind, squelch our testimony, destroy our relationships, our joy, our potential. The last thing Satan wants is for us to know our identity in Christ. 
He knows our identity is found in Jesus, and He will do anything He can to keep us from living in a place of godly confidence. So don't be surprised if our mutual enemy plants seeds of doubt to distract you from God's truth as you begin to apply new understanding of God's will for your life. Satan knows who you are. He knows you have tremendous potential, but he wants to know if you know. He may plant thoughts like, that prayer didn't really work. The way you think is just who you are. You're just a mess and that's all you will ever be. You'll never be free. He may even replay a highlight reel of your worst moments in life and tell you that's where your identity is found. But as we begin to understand his strategy to study truth, those lies won't be so loud anymore. As we begin to discern the thoughts we want to keep from the ones that are holding us back, we should take notice of when and where we become aware of those suggestions being planted in our minds. Sometimes we may discover a common denominator that seems to trigger the thoughts. One of the times when the enemy may choose to attack is during the night. Those restless moments when our perspectives are at a disadvantage due to our slumber and we may not realize we're being bullied. Those times when we wake up during what should be some of our best sleep and we can't turn off the anxious thoughts or we are overwhelmed with fear and irrational thinking or even deep sorrow. We aren't always aware because it's a thought pattern we may have grown accustomed to. Once again, We think this pattern is just a part of who we are. Jenny Allen has a powerful testimony of being awakened repeatedly from her sleep for 18 long months, riddled with fear and doubt. She confesses as a well-known Bible teacher, speaker, and spiritual leader, she didn't realize she was being spiritually attacked until a year and a half later when she confessed her struggles to a couple of godly friends. She goes on to say that when she spoke out loud about her difficulty, she immediately heard it as a lie. Her friends went to battle for her in prayer, and through the power of Jesus, that stronghold of fear was broken. Then she found herself baffled that she, as a believer and a Bible teacher, had kept her struggle with fear a secret for so long. Being saved does not exempt us from struggle or fear, but it does equip us. Let's take a moment to discuss what Scripture has to say about fear. We will definitely cover this more in another podcast, but for now, let me say simply, under no uncertain terms, will we embrace fear. Will we encounter it? Absolutely. Fear is one of the enemy's favorite tactics, hands down. So let's just expect it to show up and form our battle plan. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us that God does not give us a spirit of fear. So if we're experiencing it, we can know for certain it is not coming from God. But what do we do about the fear we know is coming? Or maybe the fear that's already here. We draw our weapon of truth, God's word. Use the scriptures in the name of Jesus. That may look something like a prayer where we say, God, you tell us that you do not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. Help me believe this and apply it to my life. Or God, please cover me with your peace, which passes all understanding in Jesus' name. Or it may sound something like, God, I'm scared. And you said that if I'm scared, that doesn't come from you. Your word says you bring peace. Help me. Sometimes your prayer may be as simple as help me. The fear we experience, the deep desire we have to be understood, to feel accepted, to please people, our need to feel validated, the secret thoughts we carry that we feel are too heavy to unload, 
unforgiveness, bitterness, comparison, the way we judge others, all of these thought patterns reveal hidden places in need of surrender. But that doesn't need to frighten us or stress us out. When we know Jesus, we can trust He is ready and willing to break the chains that hold us hostage. He sees our places of struggle, our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities as platforms for His power and glory to be made known. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul tells us, in his weaknesses, God shows his strength. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, tell us that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need teaching. Sometimes we need rebuking and correcting. We need training so we may be equipped for all the incredible things God planned for us to do before we took our first breath. Don't miss that the scripture says we may be thoroughly equipped. God doesn't go around setting us up for failure. If He's calling us into something new, He fully intends to equip us. Yet it's hard to focus on the love and equipping God wants to lavish upon us when we're choked by negativity. Let's take a look at some scriptures that tell us the truth about how God sees us and how we can take practical steps to apply these truths to our lives. John 1, 12 says, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are his children. I know that's a hard scripture to lay claim to, but it's a truth nonetheless. And if it's a truth, we can turn it into a prayer. We may say something like, God, I don't feel much like your child. What do you want me to know about being your son or daughter? Show me how to apply that truth to my daily life. John 15, 15 says that we are Christ's friend. Can we just let that sink in for a minute? I don't know about you, but I haven't spent much time thinking about how God considers me his friend, especially not since he knows all about me. Yet it's truth. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's handiwork. John 15, 16 says that He chose us. We are chosen. This is so powerful. But if we don't claim those truths, we give up that power. These truths are meant to be personal, specific, yours and mine. They are meant to convey a deep and abiding love that God has specifically for every single one of us. And some of you, you just need to hear that God is not mad at you. We simply cannot outsend God's love for us. Romans 5.8 reminds us that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. He knew the choices we would make. He knew our hurts. He knew we would attempt to fill God-shaped voids with worldly-shaped substitutions. Never once have we surprised Him with our sin. He knew, and He chose the cross anyway. If we are living with a less than mentality or a thought pattern that's constantly telling us that we are not good enough, that we don't measure up, that we aren't capable or qualified to live to our fullest potential, rest assured, we won't. Every part of our lives will be impacted one way or the other. Our families, our marriages, all of our relationships, our jobs, our testimonies, all of it. God gives us the right to claim those promises which brought about freedom. And as we learn who He says we are, we begin to trust Him in a fresh new way. 
And with that trust comes relationship. And as our relationship deepens, our identity becomes more deeply rooted in Him. It all changes when we embrace our identity. Knowledge is powerless without application. So how do we apply what we've learned in a way that actually changes us? We begin to walk these truths out in obedience, even if the emotion isn't there yet. Let me say that again. We can walk this out in obedience, even if the emotion isn't there yet. We are such emotional beings. We want to have chill bumps or a mountaintop experience whenever we pray. And it's awesome when that happens. But feeling an emotional high is not necessary to claim the promises He has given us. God welcomes us just as we are, and He is completely willing to meet us in our messes. But He loves us too much to leave us in that place, in that condition. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 give us a glimpse of a powerful moment between David and God. David asked God to search him, to know his heart, to test him and know his anxious thoughts. Then David goes on to say, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask God, what lies am I believing about myself, about your workmanship that offends you? And then be prepared to listen. Side note, listening is a tough one for me. I don't sit well. I have a mind that bounces all over the place with little provocation. So listening intently is a constant challenge for me. If that's you too, I totally relate. But the pursuit of Him is so worth it. It points us to another prayer. Lord, make me a good listener. We can even set our timer for three-minute intervals and grow our capacity for hearing what He has to tell us. Keep it practical and say the scriptures out loud. Yes, I said say them out loud. That may seem out of your comfort zone, but there is power in the spoken word of God. Power to demolish strongholds. Power to find healing and restoration. Power to find freedom from bondages. Galatians 5.1 says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Another version of the scripture says, do not be entangled again in a yoke of slavery. This scripture makes it clear that we can be caught up in bondage again, but it also clarifies that we don't have to be. We are not defenseless. Freedom is a journey. It's not a one and done. This is a process. Don't be frustrated or feel like your freedom went away just because those same thoughts try to rear their ugly heads to see if you remember that you have been set free. Expect it to happen. It's part of the strategy we talked about earlier. Ask God to remove any spiritual blinders which could keep you from understanding more. He wants to meet us in our place of deepest disappointment. Ask Him to help you receive the fullness of your identity. Jesus has fulfilled every requirement to ensure our freedom, but we must repeatedly choose to receive it. No matter where you've been or what you've been through, grace, mercy, and freedom are meant for you. Thank you for listening to the Choosing Freedom podcast. If this episode blessed you, please help others find us. 
first, we hope you will subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. Then if you're enjoying the show, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. This makes it easier for others to find us and it is a great way for us to get to know a little bit about you. We would also love for you to share this episode with someone you care about. You can follow Choosing Freedom on Instagram and Facebook at Choosing Freedom Podcast and on Twitter at I Chose Freedom 23. If you or someone you know have a testimony that relates to your freedom in Christ and you would like for us to consider reading it on a future episode, email us at choosingfreedompodcast at gmail.com. We are so grateful for you and look forward to our next time together on the Choosing Freedom Podcast. Oh,